It's Sunday, May 23rd, and you are listening to Peanuts and Popcorn. PNP is a spontaneous podcast between two old friends on baseball and motion pictures. I'm Tom Hockney. And I'm Leo Fontana. This week on Peanuts and Popcorn, two more no hitters were thrown this week. But Major League Baseball still won't stop pitchers from applying foreign substances to the ball. Felipe Vasquez is found guilty of sexual assault and will examine the most disappointing teams in baseball this season. We'll go rapid fire with the Kevin Pillar beating, CC Sabathia playing softball in Central Park, and Fernando Tatis seems to do yoga in his spare time. The Cubs and Sox each have a successful midweek series, but Tony La Russa seems to think it's all about him. And finally, our popcorn discussion is on the Orson Welles classic, Touch of Evil. How are you, Tom? I'm doing well on this fine Sunday morning. Beautiful weather we're having. Beautiful weather. I mean, this is the kind of weather that, you know, you live for when you live in this city. You know, it's this is like this is like bike riding weather, Leo. It is. And, and it is like bike riding weather. And uh, it's funny you should mention that because I went uh, went with my wife on Friday. We took the day off of work, yeah. both of us. And we drove into the city, brought our bicycles and rode on the new lake, lakefront trail. And, and the thing that really like I was really looking forward to was to see all the changes on the trail, how they've set. This is the first time I've done this since they've separated the walking people from the riding people, which was a step in the right direction in my estimation. And then I also got to ride on the uh, flyover over the uh, Chicago river, which took, I, nice. I mean, it took forever for them to build that thing. You know what I right, mean? Right. Right. So, well, anyway, that's cool. was, was this your wife's idea or was this your, no, idea? it was my idea. It was my idea. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, you—you—that's that—that's like something my wife would tell. Well, let, I'll, I'll preface by saying I do whatever the voices in my wife's head tell me to do. Uh, <laughs> but 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 this sounds like something like she's ver she's really big on going to the waterfront because I'm an amateur photographer. I will. Uh, it actually almost sounds like something I might even do today, um, because you're right. It's it's just I, I think that the 20s are going to be similar to the 1920s. You're going to see the a roaring 20s because post-COVID, when people are able to kind of kick up their, their yeah, right, exactly. I'm mean, out of their shoes and yeah you're, yeah. you're going to see a month of New Year's Eves, I think, to kind of kick it off once it kind of becomes full force. And, uh, you know, buy alcohol stocks. I'm telling yeah. you right now, buy, because I think those that business is going to do huge in the next 10 years. Um, but, uh you know, our city has, has kind of gone through um, a lot of changes through COVID. You know, yeah. par part of it is we brought upon ourselves, but we're at the we're at the halfway mark for uh, Lori um, Lightfoot, our, our Mayor Lori Lightfoot, and you yeah, live in the city. I don't. Yeah, yeah, and, and so there's there's believe me, she has been roundly criticized in many different areas. I won't even get into them. It comes from many different directions, from the police to the teachers to uh, just the, the common person like myself. Um, you know, however, I, I do think in, in her defense, she, she's had kind of a tough, uh, tough, tough hand of cards dealt to her. Um, but I don't think she's helped herself all that much. You know, part, part of it is that she's kind of uh, obstinate to a certain degree. And what you need, you know, in business, you need somebody like that. I'm not so sure as a mayor that you want to kind of come off like that. So for example, the reason why I bring this up is last week, she basically shut out all non-people of people of All color. reporters who were not of color. Right. Yeah. Uh, out of a press, which I think is insane. It's, it's one thing to actually do that. 
You, you look, it's just like certain managers in press conferences. They don't, and presidents too, they don't call on the Fox News if, 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 if they don't want those types of questions. And I, I think that she could have done the same kind of thing without announcing it. I thought that was a bonehead move on her part. It, was, it totally was a bonehead move. I followed Chicago politics for a long time. This is a transparent attempt to uh, to keep from having to answer tough questions from hard-nosed beat reporters. Correct. Okay, Correct. and and I'm sorry, but we've seen this from every single mayor we've ever had in Chicago, or that's ever you know Rahm Emanuel did it. Yep, yep. Punish reporters. Mayor Daly would do it. Oh, for sure, Daly did it. You, I mean, Eugene, Eugene Sawyer did it. it. It's it's gone on forever, and you're 100 right about that. But I think that. She's at the halfway point, and I guess the reason why I put that in there today is I think she's in trouble. She I, in trouble. I, I think she's in trouble. Well, she is in trouble, but what, what, what's interesting is that she, you know, people voted for her because they wanted to get rid of that kind of corrupt machine type of politics. But what I do kind of admire about her, and I think that she must be doing something right because everybody in the world hates her. You know what I mean? Right. right. I, I'm a little sympathetic to her, but you're right. She she's she's done some boneheaded moves, and uh, you know I don't know. It's it's going to be difficult to get her reelected. We'll see what happens. I, I agree. It's it's, it's uh, situations are is looking dire for her. And speaking of things looking dire, yeah. uh, this week we lost uh, Charles Grodin, which by the way I did not know he was as old as he was. That. That was shocking to me that, that it, I just, I, I guess I always thought of him as the middle-aged uh, doofus that he was. Right. That he would sort of play the nebbish kind of. Yeah, exactly. Nebbish, better word. He, he, you know what I loved about Grodin though? And, and I just went, I dove down the YouTube, you know, sort of rabbit hole. It was all <laughs> those appearances on Johnny Carson. And right. he was just so, so just like, like he would do this passive aggressive thing with Carson. I know. I know. And they they loved it. It was hilarious. Let, let me give you my take on it. It was annoying. Groden was annoying at the end of his career. I thought he was great. Like I saw the Heartbreak Kid when it first yeah. came out, yeah. and I thought I thought he had a fine uh, film career up to a certain until the whole Beethoven thing started with him being with dogs and so forth. It kind of lost me there. But I, I thought that he was uh, similar to uh, Andy Kaufman that when he was on a talk show. It, it, all bets were off. There was no, there was no script that they used right, right. and um, they just would kind of riff off of each other. Um, and I just thought that Groden, there's a, there's a, if you went down that rabbit hole, then you probably saw one of the more prominent Carson appearances were in like 90 or 91. Carson was pissed off. You can you see it. So? I mean, oh, there's no question. I, I, I saw Carson for 30 years. I mean, I'd watch them almost every night uh, or I would record it, um, especially back in my comedy days, because I, I admired him so much. But when he was mad at you, there's a couple of things that would happen. But one of them was you weren't coming on the show anymore. <laughs> and he did that to, to Joan Rivers and he did it to a few other people. But I just thought in that one particular setting it was uncomfortable and i was like groden you're just throwing fire you're throwing uh uh you know yeah. fuel on this fire um i i always thought they they had it set up you know what i mean because he kept coming back yeah he did. they had this you know kind of thing that they were he did. well in this particular case he couldn't come back because carson retired so we yeah. didn't see if if that would have continued on and on but but i think letterman liked him too and i think that generally the thought was He's a he's a guest that that you you have no idea what's going to happen and it could be great. Yeah, yeah. And so you're right. rest in peace. He had a very long life. 
All right, well, it's time to open the bag of peanuts. Ground ball to shortstop. Kim will go to first. The San Diego Padres get their first no-hitter in the history of the franchise. And it belongs to San Diego's own Joe Musgrove, sending the Friar faithful into a frenzy. And I don't know if you're aware of this, Tom, but there were two more no-hitters thrown this week, one by Spencer Turnbull of your Detroit Tigers and Corey Kluber. Yeah. That's crazy. This well, is- I, I now um, – I, I did what Jim Deshaies said, and that is to turn on the no-hitter notification on my phone so that I get <laughs> daily reminders of, of the no-hitters because there's so many. It's, it's, it, it's, it's out of control – and there's a, and we're going to talk about some of the reasons of why there's so many no hitters. It it basically can be explained almost in a mathematical formula. It's no hitters used to be grand, like yeah. it, it back in the day. Like when you were sitting there, when you thought you were in a no hitter in the early '90s at, at Old Comiskey Park. Remember that? Didn't you tell me? And then it was taken by Faye Vincent or whatever. Um, yeah. on, on, but that was an exciting moment. Like you, like you're, I'm seeing a no hitter for the first time in my life. I, I never have seen one in person, seen many on TV, but now when you see a no hitter, you're like, Oh, so who's pitching tomorrow? You know, I mean, it's, well, I, I just, I, I, it's just yeah. taken a little of the luster off of it. I, I don't know. It has taken a little of the luster off of it, I, I guess, but they're still special. And you know, the, the, this too will pass. I don't know that yeah. we're seeing no hitters every week for the rest of our lives, you know, but, uh, but it's kind of fun. And, you know, there's all this talk. It implies, I mean, the amount of no-hitters implies that, you know, the pitchers seem to have taken a step ahead of the batters. Yeah. But I'm looking at the scores, you know, from last night. I mean, 7-6, to 12-9, to 8-4. I mean, there's still offense. You know, it's not like the year of the pitcher. It's not like 1968. No, it's actually, it's worse, actually. So you're looking at one-day stats. That's fine. The league is batting 236. That will be that will be game that, 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 that will, I understand. Twenty-five percent of all outs are strikeouts. Twenty-five percent of all outs. And yeah. so there's a couple of issues. One of the issues is the theory is, and this came out from Clayton Kershaw, which is where it needs to come from a pitcher of his ilk, and basically said, What did they do to the baseballs in the offseason? Number one. Um, like the baseballs are not the same. They're not flying the same way. They're not. And so that's number one. And number two, um, there was a great article um, in, in the athletic, of course, by uh, Ken Rosenthal and Brittany uh, Giroli, um, which basically is talking about the whole foreign uh, substance. Foreign thing. substance right. And I think that plays a role in this, in the, in the discussion about these no hitters. It absolutely does. And this was the, this was one of the things we wanted to talk about in that, that, the, the, they said at the beginning of the year they were going to start policing for this. Well, I mean, I feel like they could start any time now. Because you know I mean? <laughs> guys are taking baseballs out of the game, like like for a first hit. You know, right. guy gets his first hit, so they give him the baseball, and it's still got that stuff on it. That right. Blue, Not still- just that. Foul balls, they're saying, got kids out in the outfield that are picking up the ball, the ones that work in the stadium, that they don't even have to grasp the ball and just touch it with their they wrist. Touch it. <laughs> yeah, it's like Velcro. But, but, the, but this it absolutely has to stop. Um, you know, Manfred, hello, you need to stop. The, to me, it's kind of funny to a certain degree about all these no hitters and the lack of overall hitting and the low averages, but it's somewhat of a crisis to a certain extent because chicks 
dig the long ball. They dig, they dig the offense, and you, and you and you can't have the pitchers ahead of the hitters. It needs to you be know, equal. It needs to I, be equal. I want to find the advertising executive who came up with that chick, <laughs> and I want to strangle him. Okay, because we'll be dealing with that for the rest of our lives. That was Hulk Hogan, by the way. Uh, so, <laughs> but but honestly, I. I Baseball, I don't know. I, I, I used to panic about this stuff, Tom. I used to like worry and I used to think. I panic at all. I just, it, it's a trend. It's a trend now. It's not at one off. And the trend needs to be, the reason why is because of those two things that you just cited. Number one, what's the deal with the baseball? And number two, I thought you guys were going to police yeah. uh, uh, substances on the ball. I know that you've taken a fair amount of uh, Bowers balls out in L.A., that, that, yeah, like, that's about the only thing we've heard of this as far as yep, what yep. they've done. That's right. it. And there was no, I don't know. I mean, they're still, what are they still doing? I mean, <laughs> right. What are you, what, what are you waiting for? But, but this is like is, a, this is a sticky situation, Leo. <laughs> it's a sticky situation. If you want to coin a phrase, there we go. <laughs> but uh, well, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens, but uh, I'm, 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 I'm a little discouraged because you know, they make a big deal out of this up front. And now what, what's being done? Because it's still going on. All right. So uh, Felipe Vasquez, this is the yeah. former. Uh, He's a pederast. And he pederast. did six months in Chino, man. Yeah. Well, I mean, he. He, he, <laughs> he had to go and introduce himself to all his neighbors that can't live near a school. You know, all those, that's all those Matt Gates rules apply to him now. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is a guy who was a pretty good closer. Yes, I mean, he was. He was probably for a little while. He was the best thing the Pirates had, you know. And yeah. uh, and yep. and then he was he was caught. He was texting a girl. She had to be 15, 14, 15, 16 at the time. No, she was not sixteen. She was fourteen. 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 How old but is your son, Lee? How old is your son? My son is fourteen. Okay, yeah. so think about that for a second. You know what I'm saying? Like it is so inappropriate. It's beyond the, it's, the it's it, it's beyond the uh, pale. And, and the and the fact is is that and also by the way, USA Today. This was a poorly written article. They what is the penalty? You, you as a writer, you have to say he was sentenced to two months, two two years of prison, or sentence is pending. Neither. Me, it, like this was a really poorly written article, but anyways, sentencing was sentencing obviously is pending, but exactly. Yeah, he's going, he's going to prison. I'm guessing. Right. Yeah. But of course the article didn't state that he uh, will go to prison. He will yeah. go to prison. This is, and, and, and he will be the best pitcher on the prison team. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, it, it, it's funny. You just have to be careful. I mean, he probably, I, he met the way I understand it happened is like he met this girl at a game uh, with a bunch of other people and, they exchanged phone numbers. Well, then they texted for a while. They text, yeah, exactly. They texted for each other to each other for a while, and and then they ended up meeting a couple of times, yeah. and that's just terrible. I'm exactly. sorry. I mean, even if she's initiating it, let's say that she was the one who initiated all of the the contact. You gotta just you can't you can't even allow her to have your phone number. I work with beautiful young girls who are that age every day. Okay. I have to be, they come into my room. I can't be alone with them. I have to open the door, stand yep. by the door. Right. Make sure right. My arms are to my side. Dude, you got to watch yourself. Okay? The, the, this reminds me of that great song in The Sound of Music. She was 14, I'm going to prison. Da, 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 da. <clears throat> I know. Anywho. You, you, you can't, uh, you know, but. 
Well, anyway, so you cited uh, uh, an article in 538 by Neil Payne yeah. on the most disappointing team so far. And I think there is one candidate who is very obvious. Without even reading the article, you would know that it would be the Minnesota Twins. Correct. You know, and, and, and they have been awful. They were expected yeah. to win this division. The White Sox went to Minnesota. They took, I think, three or four or two of three. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's as, they've as, been bad. As we wake up today. I can't believe I'm saying this because I'm a Tiger fan and a Cubs fan for that matter. Yeah, yeah. The Twins are the worst team in baseball, statistically. The worst record. Um, the Tigers have a worse run differential, and I do believe that Detroit is a worse team. But as of this very moment, the Twins are the worst. So they won 100 games in 2019. Yeah. 100 yeah. games. 100 and games. they hit the most home runs of any team in Major League history. The 120 years of the game, they've hit – the, in the one season and so last year they were what they were in the playoffs of course they 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 melted like they've been doing in the playoffs for the last 15 years but they they made the playoffs they, they are this is just um, they're not going to make the playoffs is is is, is, is Rocco Beldali going to survive it that that's I mean that's usually what happens when situations like yeah, this happen to the manager well I, I think they need to look at their GM because they really lost you know a big part of this is they lost a lot of pitchers especially a lot of relief pitchers that they depended on, you know, and then, and it's interesting if you look a little deeper at their record, you know, they're, they're getting crushed by all the stuff that has to do with the new rules. You know, they're like, Oh, and seven in extra inning games, you know, they're, they're, yeah, uh, yeah, you know, when yeah. they have the runner on second base and all, and, and also in the seven inning double header games, they're also, uh, they haven't won a game. They haven't won a game. I, I know that. And if you take those games out of the equation, they're a 500 team. As bad as Minnesota is, the reason why I cited this article was to talk about what I really wanted to to uh, to discuss and cover off on, and that is the Angels. I think the Los Angeles Angels, as we wake up this morning, they have the worst ERA in baseball at 526. California. Yeah, that's California Angels, Anaheim Angels, Los Angeles Angels, whatever you want to call it. The Angels of California are um, – a huge disappointment, not as bad as the Twins, but I honestly thought, and, and I would have to say, Joe Madden, this is your second season? Is it your second season? Yeah, it's your second season. It's yeah. second. And, and again, he, he gets some of the blame because I've seen some of the games because I've got Otani on my fantasy baseball team, so I watch, and he's, he's up to his old tricks as far as how he handles pitching staffs. But in Madden's defense, he doesn't have a pitching staff. Doesn't, he yeah. doesn't have them. Can you even name one? Picture of any quality apart from Otani on that team? No. Yeah, right. Exactly. I was going to say Otani. No, I can't because I don't really watch it when when I when he's not involved in the game. However, like my brother likes to say, Otani is must watch TV. Yeah. If, if you can see in a bat of his, you have to see it for for obvious reasons. But I just think that the Twins are are a disappointment. I mean, I think, uh, but the Angels are a surprise disappointment to me. Like I thought the Angels would be going in the other direction. Yeah. And I think the Pujols thing kind of sidetracked them a little bit. I just think I just they just seem a little bit out of source and that ERA. And also, speaking of which, when we started talking this year, the Cubs had a 189 batting average, you know, and now they're they're well over two now. It's yeah. like the Angels have gone in the exact opposite direction. And so that's that's the reason why I thought this was worth mentioning is because just kind of disappointed in, in the Angels of California. That's too bad. Yeah, no, it's, it's I'll they, get over it. I'll get over yeah. it. But no, they could get better. You're right. You're right. But uh, 
All right, so let's go rapid fire with a few quick topics. And I want to begin with an ugly incident where Kevin Pillar took a fastball to the face from Jacob Webb. This was in Atlanta. And this was one of the ugliest beatings I've ever seen. It wasn't yeah. intentional. The ball just got away from him. Right. You know, it hit him square in the nose, you know, right between the eyes almost, really. Yeah. And that, well, that was, did you see that? That was scary. Yeah, I saw it and I know about that injury because my little brother, when we were little, we were dumb. We would take baseball bats underneath apple trees. And when the apples would fall, we would hit them with our bats. And one time my brother got another close to another kid doing it. And he took a baseball bat swing full to the face wow. and fractured his sinus wall, which is what happened to Pilar. Yeah. Well, let me tell you, that takes a long time to heal. Even in a young boy, which heals a lot faster than you, Pilar. I remember living through that with him. I, I it's just, and Pilar the next day was at the park saying, Hey, you're, was, put, yeah, yeah. you're putting me in the game. Right. And they're like, no, no, you're no, not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He he was as gracious about that beating as anybody I'd ever seen. I mean, he just took a fastball to the face. He 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 said he, he forgave Jacob Webb. You know, he knew it wasn't intentional. You know, but that was you know, it's really ugly when you see the guy go to his knees. You know, yeah. and he holds his face where he's been hit, and you're seeing the blood pour right, right off of his face, right. so that the camera has to cut away. Correct. The camera's correct. like, we gotta yeah, get it, get it off of this. Exactly. Exactly. So, speedy, speedy recovery. Yeah, Robinson. speedy recovery to Kevin. I hope he's in there soon. Um, so I saw this too. Did you see that CC Sabathia? Is on a uh, Central Park softball team, yeah. and he's you know, of course, he's the best player on the team. My question to you is, could he play for the Blues? Because you were a prominent softball manager. Yeah, you know, I've given this a lot of thought, and I'd have, at first thing, I'd have to have a talk with him and say, hey, CC, you got to get your weight down. I mean, the bottom line is, uh, you know, we play station-to-station baseball over here. So, yeah, no, right. in all seriousness, absolutely, you know, obviously. I watched the videos of him hitting, and yeah. so I would make him the pitcher, though, and he doesn't want to be the pitcher. He wants to be a fielder. Uh, and, you know, have a totally different identity, which I like. I've always loved CC, by the way. Um, yeah. He was crushing that baseball. I don't know if you saw some of those videos. His singles are like uh, – his exit velocity is high, I guess is yeah. what I'm trying to say. I would, I would feel really bad for the third yeah. baseman. And, and as good as the Blues were, they played 850 baseball career. Um, yeah. We could have we could, we fit uh, CC somewhere. Been. Would you hey, have hey, 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 I, I would have I would have tried to head a friendly competition between him and Bob Selly. <laughs> <laughs> but do you make him the EH, the extra yeah, hitter? Is yeah. He the, is he well, no, because again, he wants to play. I don't want to yeah. upset the guy. So it's it's like what CC wants is what CC gets. Because you know how it is. Half of the battle of being a softball manager is getting the guys to show it's, up. They're such babies. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so also, there was another bit in San Diego where Fernando Tatis, yeah, uh, playing shortstop, uh, he made a play. No, no, he stole a base. He stole a base, correct. He stole a base. And 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 as we often see, these guys slide through the base. So he's trying to keep his foot on the bag, and he does the splits. I mean, all the way, legit. Mm-hmm. That was pretty impressive. Yeah, but scary at the same time. And the reason is, is he's got so many injuries. I mean, they call him the matrix because of what yeah. he does on the base pass. But I I think that these antics, if you will, are going to come back to haunt him. And that is a position that he ended up in that very few men should. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let me yeah. just tell you, it, yeah. it looked painful to see it happen. Just and yeah. it's just, there's no, I, 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 yes, beautiful to see, very graceful, but 
you know what? Don't hurt yourself. You are one of the, the young greats in the game, and you need to stay on the field. So um, there was an article by Chris Bowd in mm-hmm. Deadspin about uh, Doc Gooden. And, and the article basically was, the title is, we'll, we'll never see another Doc Gooden. We'll never see another pitcher of his quality, of his caliber ever again. To who's gonna, who did, we're never going to see somebody do the things that we saw Gooden do. You know, and it, it's partially it was because his first three, four, five years in the majors, he was overused. Completely you know? overused. Completely overused. There's no way any team is ever going to put a pitcher through what they put Dwight Gooden through. He had like 600 innings his first three years. Yeah. So first of all, you don't even get a hundred innings as a rookie now that, so that, so to answer the question, no, you won't see it because baseball has some governance in place to stop that from happening with young pitchers. It's precisely because of careers like Dwight Gooden that they're so protected. But make no mistake about it, because I lived through it. And um, I, it, it, Doc Gooden was a joy to watch. Yeah, he was. He, he, he um, for a three or four years, was better each year after, uh, as it went along. But make no mistake, you hit it right on the head. The reason why the cautionary tale, besides Gooden, Gooden's drug use, I mean, uh, Gooden, as of 1990, like won 21 games. So he had, you know, over a period of time, you know, he, he – he was relatively consistently good, um, but make no mistake about it. His career was ruined by the way he was handled um, as a young pitcher. And I, I think that most teams, and Strasburg comes to mind, because Strasburg wanted to be Dwight Gooden in his in his rookie year. And basically the, the, the Washington uh, Senators or Nationals said – Said no, you're not. You're not going to do that. And I know that that would, that didn't go over well with with him. But it proved to be somewhat true, true, even though Strasburg has been injured. But what it takes away when you have that governance is you're never going to see that that comet. He yeah. was he was like Gale Sayers. You're not going to see that 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 flash come into the game that that will reach so high in a short period of time again uh, as a pitcher. You'll see it as a hitter, but not as a pitcher. Uh, un- you know, unfortunately, in 1985, he was 24 and four. I know, I know. You know, for a Mets team that well, go look at it. Go look at his win above replacements. They're above 10 every season. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. It, it's 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 a cautionary tale. I'm happy, and it, it fills me with joy when I think of it because I remember watching the games and I saw a lot of Doc Gooden's games because it was must watch TV if you're a baseball fan. Well, remember how he used to dominate the Cubs? He was like 10 and 0. Oh, oh, yeah. oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, he was a Cub killer. Like he would go to Wrigley Field and just shut them out, whatever. Right. I mean, they, they just couldn't touch him. You know, and yeah. I saw a lot of that 85 season, so I saw him pitch a great deal. But he well, was – and Howard Johnson makes a joke because they lost to the Cardinals that year in the National League East by only one or two games. And Howard Johnson says, geez, Doc, if you hadn't lost those four games, you'd have won the division. <laughs> You know, for, for a period of time, good. And this is saying something because it's a Yankee town. Now, now yeah. once Brooklyn moved out of town, the, the Dodgers left. Um, it, it always it, been a Yankee. It's town. been a Yankee town. He was the king of New York there for a little while, well, and so yeah. and so I have fond memories when I think of him. And but you know, speaking of New York and speaking of Brooklyn, um, there I did not know this. Did you know that they're playing baseball in Brooklyn? And they they're have playing, been playing. Yeah. They're playing baseball in Brooklyn. They they've uh, they. It's a minor league team. The Cyclones. The Cyclones, yeah. 
and they're pretty popular. And I think that that's, you know, they're, they're named after the roller coaster right. at uh, Coney Island, the Cyclones. But, but I think it's great. And, uh, you know, I hope they draw a lot of people. And I think that there's a market for minor league baseball in New York City, especially in a place like Brooklyn, you know. There has to be. I mean, I think there has to be. The, the part that was scary, but you can kind of maybe chalk it off to COVID, is just like the, the Schaumburg team that I used to go to, there was hardly anybody at the game. Except no, for like fa- family, like family members, and I'm like, "Hey, Brooklyn, you remember what happened the last time you stopped showing up at the stadium?" I mean, hello. Go, go see her. Yeah, go exactly. see exactly. Support see this team. They're the ones that did the Seinfeld day. They had the Seinfeld day where they brought in all the old cast <laughs> members and did all these tributes. So it was kind of you know, but uh, anyway. So we 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 need to get to Chicago baseball, and this is I've, I've been dying to talk about this all week. You know what I mean? Just thinking about this, yeah. Tony LaRusso is insane. And, is. and is. I want to talk about this to the degree <laughs> that I decided to put the Sox ahead of the Cubs in our Chicago baseball breakdown. Well, but they, need, they, they need to be ahead of the Cubs anyways. They're a better team. They are a better <laughs> team. That's, and I'm fine with that. But it, what's hilarious is, you know, they're playing the Twins. Yeah. And they're up big. And and your mean Mercedes comes and, up. But yeah. who comes to pitch? For the twins. Yeah. Against Willens Astudio, who's a friend of the show. Exactly. And it's great because we love this guy. These are two fat guys squaring off. Two yeah, fat yeah. guys. It's so great that he's involved in this and we're not, at the, but he's at the center of attention. So he goes three and oh, you know, the twins are waving the white flag, you know, and, and Astudio goes three and oh, so Mercedes on the three and oh pitch crushes a two run home run and they're up 14 to 10, 14 to four instead of 12 to four. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and so later on after the game, you know, there was a Twins announcer who said he didn't like it. You know, oh, I don't like that. And then yeah, they took yeah. that on the internet and go, he ripped a Twins announcer ripped. I mean, <laughs> said, I don't like that. That's all he yeah, said. Right. You know, but, but then Tony, uh, Tony LaRusso in his post-game press conference had to say right. that, uh, you know, your mean is going to suffer a consequence, that the take sign was on. He intentionally, you know, missed the sign or whatever. He failed to see it. And uh, he hit the three-run home run or the two-run home run. And and I tell you something, everybody on the White Sox, you know, it begins with Tim Anderson, but then it goes west to Trevor Bauer. And they're like, dude, just be yourself. Hit the ball and have fun. Exactly. Tony, shut up. Right, right. Oh. It, it's so funny. when I when I when The more I think about Tony, and, and you're right, it, it, I started noticing it after you mentioned this a couple weeks ago. By the time he gets to the press conferences, he looks like he should be in assisted living. I mean, I, I mean it, 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 you know who he reminds me of too, as a manager, as a manager, he reminds me of, of, uh, uh Max, the chauffeur in, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, uh, the, the, the great mo- movie, uh, Sunset Boulevard. Um, yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Because he's just, it's almost harebrained meets senility. It's a, it's a weird thing, but all I would say to you, Tony is, you have one of the better teams. We'll talk about this in a second. The Sox have had a terrible week. But but you have one of the better teams in baseball. And you need to kind of stay out of the way. Stay out of the way of what they need to do. Because when I look at the win above replacements for managers, you're at a minus three game. So you've cost them three games this year. So they've won 26. They should be 29 wins, not 26. That's, that's not a big deal at the end of the year. But it's a big deal in May, Leo. It, if it continues on this pace, he'll have cost the, the Sox between seven and 10 wins this year. That most managers would get fired over that. I got to tell you, most. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. And and 
I just think it's bad. You know, he's he's talking about these unwritten rules and these right. he, like it's 1954. And 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 to his credit, okay, there is a place in the game for these kinds of things. Okay. And when I think about this incident incident, I started thinking, well, what would Joe Madden have done? Yeah. Okay. And I'll tell you exactly what he would have done. He would have laughed. No, no. Well, first of all, they would have asked him about it. And he, he would have said, look, um, well, first of all, it's not a good idea to swing on three and oh, yeah. and, and we did have the take on sign, the take sign on. So he will have to, we'll have to find him a little bit about that. But I will say this, that I understand that this is a guy who's a 28 year old rookie who is fighting for his professional livelihood. Yeah. And I do not begrudge him at all for taking that swing. And I, I think maybe they played together in the minors together and they did, you know, and that's a good and, answer. You're right. That, 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 that's, it would have been something along that line. Uh, uh, but, 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 but LaRusse has to say, Oh, well, you know, I'm the, I've got an office. He's got yeah. a locker. I've yeah. got an office. You know, exactly. it's like, I'm, I'm on the Supreme, I'm on the Supreme court of these Dude. types of decisions. And, and you're not, it, it, it the game has passed them by. I think this was a bad decision by the Sox. They have a very good team, and they need a young, bright, aware, awake manager. Yeah. Um, you know, awake. And, awake is awake being the, the seminal point there. You know, Tony, surround yourself with great coaches, and I think he has to a certain degree, by the way. They, they may win in spite of it. They yeah. may come together because yeah. they hate him so much. You know right. what I mean? If, if, <laughs> right. nobody, honestly, you know, remember what Stengel used to say? My job is to keep the 10 right. guys right. Me away right. from the 10 guys who haven't made up their mind. Exactly. You know, so, so, again, I mean, who knows what will happen? They may win because of this. They may not win because of this. But the point is, is these days, why don't you make your organization look good? Right. Well, pick your battles, Tony. Pick, you, you know, you're a lawyer. You know, the, the idea that you're not self-aware enough to know what this, what this, the repercussions in the media world, it, because of Twitter, like you said, everyone's got an opinion on something like this. Be careful. Be yeah. very, and that's why Madden is so good. That's why I think David Ross is so good. Ross is very good at that too. And he's so even keel in the, in the press room. Well, you know, Tony, just shoot for what, what, just shoot for this thing. Just try to stay awake through the thing. You know, well, you know what's interesting is that Madden was always very gracious, jovial, jovial, a lot of fun. You know, Ross is like, well, you know, I have to do this. Can we, can we get through this? A exactly. Little but you know, but he's, he's still very impatient, but, but, but yeah. he still hits, hits the right notes. I, all I can tell you is the Sox would be better if Ross was their manager. Yeah, I'll put it perhaps, to you that way. Perhaps, perhaps. So I think that's a fair that's a fair assessment. I mean, but again, they may win in spite of this nonsense. There, there's, dude, they're one of the best teams in the game, yeah. despite the fact that they had a rough week. They a really rough did. week. They had a brutal weekend in New York, where the, the uh, San Diego Padres are the best team in baseball. A week ago, the Sox were the best team in baseball. So it, again, it's a week to week thing, but it's just a talking point for us. And I'm going to kind of track that as I track the Sox season this year. The scary well, part they, is there are two games under there are two games under 500 against teams over 500, and so all of the best teams tend to be a little bit better than that. So these are just yeah, yeah. these are just weird and wacky stats, uh, Stark wise. That and, I'm and, and that's important to keep track of, and 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 we have to give them some pause. Because they have had a lot of injuries too, Tom. You know what I yeah. mean? And the fact that they're still a competitive team. I mean, this was a tough series. They scored, I think, one run in the two games so far yeah. this weekend yeah. in New York. That's that's hey, big. Statistic I mean, crushed them. 
statistically today, they're number four offense and number five pitching. That's really good, Leo. That's That's really good. Yeah, yeah. And the run differential didn't really suffer this weekend too much. I mean, what is it, seven runs? You know, but anyway. So, you know, I still think they'll win this division because they'll get these guys back. The rest of the division isn't very good. They'll be there at the end. Yeah. I, I'm just – I'm very pessimistic. I predict it will end in tears for the White Sox in a well, bitter playoff loss. Again, I, uh, as a fantasy player, and I've got a few – that's why I've been kind of watching the Sox for the first time in my life of actually following them because, A, they're very good. B, we have this show. But, C, I have some player – I've got Moncada on my team yeah. and, and Giolito. But, um, you know, they went in to, to play New York uh, in, in what was basically a playoff atmosphere – setting um yeah. and i i watched the first game in the series and which was uh, a great game it was great. A, a great great game yeah, that triple play that Ro, 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 rondon uh pitched, Rodon, Rodon, yeah, was... rodon pitched his ass off and uh uh there was that triple play that happened in the eighth inning and then the yankees walked it off in the ninth yeah um, great game though. and and then la- yesterday they got they kind of got knocked out kicked in the teeth a little bit. They lost seven to nothing. So hopefully today with uh, Keiko pitching that the, the Sox can salvage one game from that series, because I would say to the Sox, you got to get, it's kind of like what you're talking about, that they're ultimately will end in tears. You have to step up when you play the Yankees, when you play, you know, Houston, which is another really good team. You you have to, you have to really bring your A game, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Well, I mean, losing Friday, the the game they had a chance to win was Friday. If they Mm -hmm. didn't win Friday, they're not going to win the series because they're not going to be cold. Right. You know, and, and, and with Keuchel going today, they have a chance with a left-hander on the mound. So, you know, but, but Friday's game, I can't talk about enough because there was also that play where Aaron judge looked like he was going to catch a line out. There was a runner at first. Yeah, yeah, it looked yeah. like I forget who hit the ball, but it was a line out right at him. And it looked like he, he, he made the thing like, I'm going to catch it. Yeah. The ball bounces. He catches fires to second to get the force. Right. A lot of plays like that, you know, in that game that didn't go the Sox's way. Believe it or not, and I saw that play with Judge. Um, that's uncharacteristic of him. He's a he's a fine outfielder. For his, I'll bet you, for his height, he's the greatest outfielder at that height that ever was. Tall outfielder. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> okay. He's got no, he's, he's got a great arm. Right now, now you you may be aware of this more than I, but a friend of mine who's a Sox fan, who I think sometimes is absolutely out of his mind, uh, he said that Yoan Moncada is the best defensive third baseman in baseball. No, he's not better. No, he's not better than Arenado on the Cardinals. Are you crazy? Arenado's won five straight gold gloves. And by the way, he catches everything that comes his way. He plays like Brooks Robinson and he hits like Frank Robinson. Come on. I know. I I mean, Moncada's a good player, you know, right? I mean, right. Oh, he is. He's on my fantasy. He's my third baseman. But, but uh, whoever your friend is, I mean, move away from that gas leak you live near. All right, so so now the Cubs also had a successful week. Well, I mean, the, the Cubs had an interesting week in that they took three of four from Washington in a game that sees all these former Cubs return to yeah. Wrigley Field. Yeah. So it turned into like a big nostalgia celebration. I mean, you had right. you had uh, John Lester, you had Kyle Schwarber, you had Dave Martinez, you had what's his name uh, Castro, Starlin Castro, yeah, and you had Jim Hick. Did they yeah. do a Did they do a tribute video? former pitching coach Jim Hickey. I mean, yes, come on. yes, they did. Yes, they did. 
They Did they him, really? Are you kidding? They gave me? him the golden, the Cubs golden arm. Oh God! No, 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 they didn't. But, but, but you're right. That was almost. That's great, and I. It was great to see Schwarber hugging uh, Chris Bryant on the bases, which is something yeah. you don't normally see. And, um, but and he had he had a good series. He had two home runs. I mean, yes, he had a, yeah. good moments. You know, I, I always liked Schwarber. I wouldn't have gotten rid of him myself. But I, to me, but he wouldn't have been a start. He would have been been a bench player. But I mean, you know, it, it, the the. It's kind of sad because you're seeing the end of John Lester. I mean, it, it's it's unfortunately, it's like John's out of gas. We talked about that. We talked about this ad nauseum, particularly me, who I felt as though he only had seven or eight wins left in his arm. Turns out I was right, and I said that almost two years ago. Yeah. Um, so he um, wins double figures this year. You know, there's no way he wins double. Well, figures. with Washington's one of the worst teams, it's unlikely. They're they're struggled mightily this year. Soto's not playing well. Um, it's just you know, Scherzer is a guy, if they trade Scherzer at the deadline, then you know what's happening with Washington. Yeah, yeah, right. And they should trade him. They should trade well, him. Well, he's got a big, fat contract. But uh, uh, so, you know. Uh, but it was, you know, I wanted to mention, too, a couple yeah. things that each one of these Cubs, Kyle Schwarber, had his little moment where, you know, he, he hit the two home runs. Right. And then John Lester had a moment too when he was batting and he hit the ball hard to Rizzo and Rizzo just he just picks it up and it just kind of yeah. with no with no urgency whatsoever right. just kind of flips the ball to the pitcher who runs over and 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 Lester's like oh man I I hate you dude yeah but then yeah. but then Dave Martinez had a moment too when he argued a call and came out because his player had been called as as running out of the baseline when he hadn't. Yeah. The umpires completely blew it. So he freaked out. He picked the first base bag up and threw it. You know what I mean? And, and yeah. even Arlen Castro, I think, had a couple of moments too. So it was kind of fun. Yeah. You know? Well, it, again, it's it, it was almost a sideshow type of a series because all what? these other what? things that were yeah. going on off the field. But uh, again, you know, you can't judge the Cubs when they play Washington. You can't judge the Cubs when they play Pittsburgh. I think you have to judge the Cubs when they play the Cardinals, which is uh, how the week ended for them. And, uh, and, and so beating the Cardinals, that's a huge deal. The Cardinals are the, are the best team in the, in that division, which is not saying much um, because the division is weak overall. Um, but Detsman did a, a little take on Chris Bryant and, and there's, I don't know whether they had a chance to read this, but Chris, there's something annoying to me about what's going on with Chris Bryant this year. And I know I give him a lot of credit because he played with a fractured wrist last year and, and last year was a legitimate, you, he could not perform and I get it. But what about 2019, Chris? It's like, you're, I, it drives me a little crazy, even though as a fan, I'm happy that you're having this spectacular year when you're trying to get a paycheck. Aren't you supposed to have this year every year? Well, Tom, I, I don't think I'll hang up and listen for my answer. I, I think baseball players, Tom, are like regular human beings in that there's sometimes there are circumstances which cause them to not play as well as they are capable. And that could be injuries. That could be, oh, I don't know, maybe a pandemic, that kind right. of thing. Things like that may have a negative effect on a player's ability to produce. Now, he's healthy. Looks like yeah. he's not injured. He's changed his approach. He's sort of neutralizing or trying to neutralize some of the things that pitchers were doing to get him out. He seems to be adjusting to their adjustments. So, you know, I, I, I would love it if they kept him. I really would. And I Me. think they would love to keep him too. I just don't think they're going to give him $300 million for 10 years. You know, that's the thing. When I got done reading that, I kept thinking the only team that is right for Chris Bryant is the Dodgers. No, is the Cubs. 
It's the Cubs. But yeah. you're right. Are the Cubs going to pony up? And are the Cubs going to send a message that, yeah, we did kind of manipulate his service time, and I know he hates us and cat attorneys, and we sued each other back and forth, but we're going to keep him. I don't think that's going to happen. But that's yeah. what I want to happen because statistically, Chris Bryant is, this year is in the top three or four hitters in yeah, all of Major he, League Baseball. And, yeah. and by any definition, yeah. it won't bore you with the, with the minutia, but – Take my word for it. Bryant is 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 somebody, and and where would the Cubs be? They're basically a 500 team without him. No. Um, I mean, you could make a case like if they make the playoffs, he's the MVP. Well, without a question, you he's know, he's the MVP right now. Anyway, so and, you know, uh, I, they, I, need, they need to win this series in St. Louis. Though they need to win on the road, and it's, it's something they haven't done all year. You yeah, know, the the author correctly points out that if the Cubs trade Bryant say to the Dodgers or something like that, they're going to get screwed. Just like the Mookie Betts deal, just like all of these, you're not going to get the return for the quality that you're giving up. And so that's what makes me think Cubs get smart, get smart and figure out a way to get this deal done. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, keeping Bryant, Rizzo, Baez and Contreras, it's just unlikely. I think of those four, you know, as much as I love him, the one that I would choose to trade away is Wilson Contreras. Not me. I would get rid of Rizzo. I would never get rid of Contreras because he's a catcher. But I would get rid of Rizzo just because his skills of a road. He's still a good defender. But you can always you find catchers. You can always find catchers, Tom. Yeah, no, I, I get it. But I, but I would personally, I would keep him and I would get rid of Rizzo. I would definitely got not get rid of Baez. But well, no, Baez. I would have to keep Baez. Baez is just so exciting. Right. You know what I mean? But uh, but I would keep those three guys. Well, number one. Look at Brian's versatility. He's played, yeah, I think, correct. every outfield correct. position, and correct. he's played the corner infield positions. Correct. And he could certainly play shortstop and second if they needed him to. Yeah, you know, you're, you're right about that. And, again, that even adds more credence. Cubs, sign him. I yeah. mean, I mean, he's smart enough. valuable. Smart enough. Yeah, they got as Tony, as Tony Soprano used to say, smart enough. Smart enough. But now there was some other news unrelated to on-the-field play in that the Cubs hired – a kid named Jeremiah Paprocki as the new PA announcer. And uh, he's African-American. Yeah. He's a person of color and he's young. He's like 21 years old. He's going to school I know. doing this, the Cubs uh, the PA announcer. So I thought that was kind of cool. So I, I, so first of all, the video that you shared is, is narrated by, to me, the, the, the voice that makes me crazy. And that I've told you before that Taylor, Taylor, yeah, McGregor. Taylor McGregor just shut up. But once they got to him announcing, yeah. I was like, well, I thought that was the old guy. I mean, like, he's got yeah. a really he's got, good yeah. – he's, he's got it, man. I yeah. mean, because you because I was like, oh, what is this going to be? Like, yeah. for a while, some and of the now, new – And now Anthony Rizzo's up, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I hate to say this, but when San Francisco changed their announcer, I think about 15 or 20 years ago – it, it was kind of that way. It took me some time to get used to it because I was born and raised with number two, Jita, Jita, Derek Jita. And so this is a young guy um, whose mother was a vendor for the Cubs. Yeah. yeah. And so it's, this is a great story. Um, and, but announcers, you need to be in the background that if I know, if I notice you, then you're not doing a good job. You know who aspires to be a PA announcer is uh, is Lucas Smith. He oh, really? Does it? Yeah. You know what? And he's got a good voice. He's got yeah. the timber for that. But it, but it, but unlike an announcer, 
And by the way, Jim Deshaies showed up in like three uh, uh, athletic articles this week because he's so, he's so good. And I've been telling you this. I couldn't stand him when I first heard him, but he is but he's one of the most insightful guys. And I think he keeps uh, Boog Powell or whatever that, um, the, yeah. that chubby guy that sits next to him, he keeps him in check uh, really, really well. The announcer at the stadium needs to be in the woodwork. You can't be a, a personality, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Exactly. You, 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 you have to just sort of be there without anybody having to think about it. You know what I mean? And that's, that's kind of cool. But I think it's a great story, and uh, I wish him all the success. So that, uh, that, that we've exhausted our supply of peanuts, Tom. And it is, it is now time to open the bag of popcorn. Come on, read my future for me. You haven't got any. Hmm? What do you mean? Your future is all used up. Uh, this week's popcorn discussion is on Touch of Evil. This is a movie directed by Orson Welles that, Tom, you selected. And I'm going to let you kind of get started on this and tell us why you chose this particular movie. Yes. Yeah, so um, this is this is uh, the very last film that Welles, that a major studio uh, would take a chance with Welles. But basically, it's a story of a border town, that uh, a Mexican-U.S. border town, uh, fictional, by the way, Las Robles, or something Los like that. Las Robles, yeah. Uh, in uh, Mexico. And... Uh, it, it's a story of corruption, hookers, uh, bad cops, uh, Bugs. all these things. But basically, it starts out where you see this glorious three and a half minute shot uh, where this guy puts a bomb on this, this couple's co uh, convertible car. And for the next three and a half minutes, it drives through town before it explodes, which is just beautiful. But it explodes on the U.S. side, not on the, on the Spanish side. Thus, you have um, the U.S. police and the Mexican police investigating this crime and, of course, trying to solve it. You've got drug, drug issues in there. You've got a drug family, like an Escobar type of family that um, owns almost both sides of the border yeah. um, as far as hotels and stuff the like that. Family, family. And, and so the plot, almost like Bogdanovich said, when he spoke to Wells about this film, he said, I saw this four times before I uh, knew what I paid attention to the plot. And Wells said, he was pissed. He's like, what? And he's like, I was watching your directing because yeah. the yeah. black and white shots are magnificent. This film is you, some of the same Citizen Kane folks worked on this film, and you can tell because Wells is more concerned about, to a certain degree, about how it looks. Oh, yeah, there's this grand plot going on, but the visual of this film in black and white is extraordinary. When it was first released, um, the studio took the film from Wells, cut it themselves. Wells almost tearily pleaded them not to do that. And, and they and they slow rolled it when it was released. It was a box office bomb. And over time, it's become this great classic. But one of the reasons why is in 98, it was recut to have Orson Welles' original yeah, version. No, it's to all the, yeah. yeah. To, to so, so for all you fans out there that are watching the film, unless you see that written disclaimer at the beginning where they talk about Welles, uh, you know, it's a two-pager, and then it cuts into the film. You're watching the old version. There's very few of them out there, but you can still see it. It was about 30 minutes shorter. And so yeah. just yeah. think about that. The, the, the film is just glorious. I, I, yeah. I, I've seen it four or five times. It's been about 20 years since I've seen it. And it was just fantastic to experience it all over again, especially in a really good cut of it. 
I, I can't stop thinking about Janet Lee in lingerie. Because, you know what I mean? I mean, no, there, there are images in this film. And you're right. The, the, the plot is really secondary to the crafting of the film. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that scene, that opening scene, what they had done initially, the, the, the studio had cut it so that the credits would roll over that scene. And Wells was furious. And he's Correct. right. Correct. Because the, the scene is so good because we see the criminal put the bomb in the trunk right. of the car. That's we right. see the couple get in the car and drive. Yeah. We're like, what is, when is this thing right. going to happen? He's driving through all these people. Everybody's walking around them. These two main characters, obviously, who are going to be central to the film are walking next to the car. You know, it, it, it's just, it's a really, really tense, tense scene. So, you but know, you couldn't I, have the, he was, Wells is 100% right. The credits had to be moved to the back end of the film, to, to the end of the film, and which is where it exists today. And so, by the way, from a hunch standpoint, Wells was almost 100% right. Um, he did, he wasn't perfect, but he, he, he was definitely right about this. And they, when the film first came out, he abhorred that name. He thought that was the worst name of any film he ever did. At the end of his life, they asked him, what was your favorite name film? He said, Touch of Evil. He said, the more he thought about it, the more he thought it was the perfect name because you had all of these evil characters. I mean, everybody was very, um, there's one uh, honest man, exactly one virtuous man, and yeah. that's the Mexican drug right. enforcement agent played by Charles Nasden. Who, I mean, you know, you know, again, it's not a perfect movie. No, this is a huge mistake. The, yeah. the, I yeah. loved, I loved Chuck Heston until he went all nuts NRA on us. But this was, this was a miscast, and Wells realized it later. Uh, but he was dealing with studio issues, and and he had, you they had, had, he he had his, not, yeah, they made him take Heston exactly. So. Bottom but, line. This, when I think of that today, like there's so many, um, like, you know, who would have been great is Raul Julia. Yeah, Raul Julia would have been, yeah. He would yeah. have been fantastic or in that role. Or, yeah, there's <laughs> so many guys. And I, I, but I don't think this movie should be remade because it's just. Correct, it's, correct. It's the shadows. Movie. If you did, it would have to be in black and white. This movie is so beautifully made and the images that you see and, you know, Orson Welles on the screen is. He's corpulent. He's corpulent. Oh, man. What a creepy guy. Yeah. This guy is just pure evil. And and he just oozes. He's just he's just fat, you know, like he wore six. Wells was always a heavy guy. Yeah, but, but he, he was never that heavy. He was that, yeah, yeah. he was never that heavy, and and that was basically they made him look ugly, which Wells loved. He yeah. loved that. In fact, one time he went to a Hollywood party dressed in that outfit, and he he marveled at the fact of how the women were treating him so well. And he's like, it's only because it's Orson Welles. And he was wow. like, so he would, you know, he could think think through those things. And, and Wells was a genius. I'm a huge fan. Citizen Kane is my favorite film. One day we'll use that as our film, but I want to hold it off as much as I possibly can, because I do believe Wells made a handful of the best films ever made. The Magnificent Ambersons is another great film that Wells made. But, you know, this is a movie, Dennis Weaver plays- Oh, the, yeah, we gotta mention play, Dennis Weaver. Yeah. Dennis, Dennis Weaver plays this part. Is <coughs> this small that, part, that, but that's even like three or four he, scenes. Yeah. Weaver correctly says, hey, uh, Anthony Perkins, you may have like ripped off your uh, psycho routine off of this guy because Basically, yeah. Weaver could have played that psycho character. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to clean that up. If they want me to clean that up, I'm not going to. Yeah. You know, yeah. It was creepy as heck. Exactly. Beyond creepy. It was like physically creepy. Um, you know, and it, it just, uh, he was really good. One of my favorite actors of all time is only in the film for three seconds, and it's Joseph Cotton. He plays the coroner. 
uh, in the film. You, but just to see Joseph Cotton, who was brilliant yeah. in Citizen Kane and the Magnificent Amberson, and obviously a dear friend of Orson Welles, is always great. But I can't, we can't wrap this up without talking about my favorite TV character of all time, Lieutenant Tragg of uh, yeah. Perry Mason. Exactly. Ray Collins, another uh, another uh, stable mate of Joseph Cotton, uh, plays kind of kind of not a great uh, role in this film, but I love seeing Ray Collins in movies, especially old films like that, because that's Lieutenant Tragg right there. Well, I mean, he he was really good. It was nice to see him, and I was kind of grooving on that. But we also can't forget the thirty seconds on stage that uh, Jean Jacques Cabour has. Yeah. Right. Right. You know. Yeah, and then and then oh, let's, wait, wait, let's talk about Marlene and Dietrich. Thank you, thank you. You got it. Yeah, she was. I mean, is she Mexican? Is she German? Who knows? You know, but you don't got any more future. Yeah, you know, so, your future's all used up. Which is oh man, and, and that's weird. She yeah. looked. She looked at him because they obviously were lovers when they were younger. These characters, and she looked at him like, you know, go have another candy bar. Yeah. Like she's <laughs> such <laughs> the, such yeah. disdain. Uh, yeah, yeah. you know and, and by the way i've seen that look before uh so <laughs> but uh this this is just a timeless classic and i think if you're interested in film this is one of those movies that you must watch it, it's yeah. it's it's 55th on my list of of all-time great films um and it, it's nothing that it, and, and you're right i see the shortcomings of the film the heston thing was was I didn't, I didn't, I agreed with Ebert, like that shot could have been, would have been better to, if they would have shown the explosion off, off stage, off screen, as opposed to showing this car blowing up. Um, there's, there's little crit criticisms of that, but this, this is a, this is a masterpiece and a masterclass in filmmaking. Everybody that's in, in the, wants to go into the film business, you must watch this. Film. Yeah, you really should. I mean, if you're an aspiring film student, you, you need to see these great old films and you need to see how these people put these movies together using only light and shadow. Exactly. These exactly. techniques. Otherwise, what are you really doing? You know what I mean? Right. If you can't see that and appreciate it for what it is, then you shouldn't be a director. So, so but, Leo, what is our film next week? Well, we're, we're going to go in a different direction. We're going to go lowbrow. We're going to go something a little closer to modern times. Uh, one of my favorites, a cult classic, uh, Patrick Swayze in Roadhouse. Ah, interesting. Yeah. So uh, a movie I've always wanted to talk about. There's there's fun things to talk about as far as this movie. We'll get into all of that next week. But until then, we are Two Peas in a Podcast. I'll bang the drum slowly and play the fife lowly. Play the dead march as they carry me along. Put bunches of roses all over my coffee Roses to deaden the clouds as they fall